Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. This episode is brought to you in part by DiceBard. DiceBard is an online shop with a great selection of dice and sales that rotate every 24 hours. So if you ever have your sights set on a specific set but not a lot of cash, it won't be long till it goes on sale. Running for new players and want to get them quickly acquainted with the different dice they'll need? The Complete Adventures Dice Kit has 29 color-coded dice that are easy to distinguish while reaching hastily across the table so they can roll damage for their fireball spell. Visit DiceBard.com and use the code DMVAN at checkout to get free expedited shipping and let them know that we sent you. DiceBard has everything you need to play Dungeons & Dragons, as long as all you need is dice. This episode is also brought to you in part by Libris Arcana, Canada's premier dice subscription service. Every month you can get a new complete set from D4s to D20s delivered straight to your door. Dice themes are new each month and can be anything your mind can imagine and more. Visit LibrisArcana.com to get a subscription for just $7.97 Canadian each month. Use the promo code DMVAN to let them know we sent you. Be prepared to open up new worlds of adventure with Libris Arcana. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about rolling with it. Today we're talking to Kayla Sander. How's it going, Kayla? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Eh, pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, Kayla, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been playing, You know, what kind of games you play, any other relevant information? For sure. So, on paper, um, I am technically a very new GM, really only GMing in the last year. Um, My experience with tabletop is, well, limited prior to this, but when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time hanging out with a bunch of younger children, and we'd go outside, and I would lead them through these stories and narratives, which now you might think of, if I look back now, it's it's almost LARPing without the props (laughs) is what we were doing. Like, I'd draw out these maps, and I'd walk them through all these things, and that was something that I was always really involved with early on, is I just loved telling stories. Um, When I was in high school, though, I really started getting into the Dragonlance books. And then someone turned me on to the idea that, oh, by the way, this is based off of a game. And that's how I kind of got exposed to Dungeons and Dragons. And in high school, I was in a group uh, playing 3.5 for a while. Fortunately, as most groups do, it did fall apart. I ended up like I was growing up in a small town. I didn't know anyone else played. We didn't even have a store that sold the books. So I ended up falling out of that until pretty much till the end of last year, just because I didn't have one to play with. And then around sometime at the end of last year, me and a group of work friends started talking about starting up a tabletop game. One of the guys had kickstarted um, 13th Age. So we said, hey, let's do a 13th Age game. And so we started that in January this year. And the way that we are doing it is we have four DMs and we rotate through that. And we have 13 players in total. And since then, uh, you know, we're playing D&D with a bunch of other friends. We just pretty much kind of jumped into everything head on. It's now consumed my life. I'm part of a podcast called DM's Test Kitchen, where um, me and a group of friends, we try out different systems. And we're running these characters, hopping through bodies, through different systems and different worlds, and reviewing these systems just to get our hands on everything. Because there are hundreds of systems out there. And... You never, no one's ever gonna have a chance to play them all. So we want to try and do that, do that groundwork for other people, so they have a chance. Like, oh, I want to try this. I wonder what it's about. So, yeah, this last year has just been a whirlwind of systems and playing for me. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna have to check out that podcast. What's your favorite system so far? Uh well, like 
I really love 13th Age. It's hard to not feel attached to that for me. Um, it's a lot like, it is a lot like Dungeons & Dragons made by Rob Hindsu and Jonathan Tweet, who were very involved with Dungeons & Dragons back the way back in the day. Like, Rob pretty much led almost all of 4th edition. So they made this game because they didn't really like the direction that Wizards was going at the time. And so they made 13th Age. And so it focuses and like boils down a lot of the you know, aspects that most people really love about D&D and kind of got, gets rid of the extra stuff that can sometimes just bog a game down. Obviously, these are things that are optional depending on how you play your game, but like 13 Days just kind of, this is a much more concentrated, simple, I find a simpler bird version. And one of my favorite things about it is the icon system, which is a system where there are um, political figures or powerful figures in the universe. There's 13 of them. And when you roll a character, you get three relationship points to spend on one on these icons and they could be positive, negative, or conflicted. And that immediately binds your character to the world and the politics that are happening. So we've half of the people playing our group have never played a tabletop in their life, but immediately they were already bought into the story because they had to think about what their relationship was with that world. So that I have a huge soft spot for that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I've heard I've heard about people playing it and I know a I knew kind of about the icons because I back something on kickstarter that came with a couple of like metal tokens for 13th age but mm. i didn't know what it was all about and so i'm like cool i've got little things i can use in D now but that sounds pretty neat but uh i think it's we should probably dive into our topic it's you know like five minutes in we haven't said <laughs> anything yet so when when you'd say rolling with it what did what do you mean by that so pretty much what i mean with rolling with it is with with my experience and with having played only only really getting games recently and with paying having to jump at all these systems all the time is sometimes you don't have time to prepare and read a billion books and modules and get ready and like sometimes you just have to go in it or everyone has dm'd a game when you go in you're like okay i've got this this and this they're gonna go do this and then they decide okay but look at that pig in the market over there <laughs> and they just go completely off the rails and just how you handle the situations how you deal with unexpected scenarios and whatever your players want to do and rolling with it, really. <laughs> your game suddenly turns into that episode of Gravity Falls where Mabel really, really, really wants the pig. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we have so many Mabels in most of our parties, just always <laughs> wanting to do that sort of stuff and just having to be able to go with it, for sure. So in that case, then, like, what are some, like, do you have any introductory starter tips or hints on... I mean, it is if like it, at its base, it's basically just be good at improv. But mm -hmm. when it comes to being a DM and your players suddenly want to go off the beaten track or they're going to do something crazy, um, like for example, somebody wants to do something crazy in the middle of combat, like they've just thought of something off the wall, like they're going to, you know, ride the chandelier, they're going to grab onto the chandelier rope and cut the rope and ride it up and try and do something crazy, or they're going to try and push over a statue to cause a domino effect to try and, you know, mm -hmm. kill a bunch of people at once. How do you adjudicate those things? Like, how do you decide like specifically in combat, how it's going to work? Because I think outside of combat, it's, it might be a little bit easier to deal with because it can kind of just be like rule of cool. Like, yeah, you do the thing or you roll and the DC is, you know, pretty low because there's not really many stakes, but players tend to want to roll but in combat 
usually when it comes to combat, DMs have put a little bit more thought into, you know, making sure that it's, at least in D&D, making sure that it's balanced. I don't know how it works with 13th Age and making sure that the combat isn't too deadly for the party, but... Very similar, very similar. Okay, so if somebody wants to do something that could, you know, you've got uh, got an encounter that's supposed to be this, like, kind of tough fight, and it's supposed to um, kind of be the the highlight of the last few sessions, like you've been building up to it and your player comes up with something that could potentially just end the combat in the first round or could wildly unbalance things. How do you, how do you adjudicate those things? For sure. And like, you know, I, I definitely tend to lean towards the rule of cool in combat as well. Um, a perfect example was in our 13th age game. Um, we were building up through this whole dungeon crawl down to this bottom level where they had a face off with three basilisks. And, um, the way that I'd built it is there of uh, uh, the floor above there was an arena that once upon a time the archmage had used to do experiments and to, like basically do Coliseum combat with like magical hybrids. And um they'd found that before, but there was these um lifts that connected to the basement and they were I had made it so that they weren't in use at all, like they were completely rusted and stuff like that. But there was just kind of I I think that they could see like, oh, there's something else down below that led them down there, and then so they're down there and when the combat begins and suddenly our necromancer turns to our monk and like, we should break the chains and drop the lifts on the basilisk. I'm like, oh, I was not planning this at all. So I was just kind of like, okay, well, this is something I do. It's like, you, you want to reward players who want to do that fun stuff because that really engages everyone. It makes everyone get really excited. So sometimes you literally roll for it is what I often end up doing. Like, okay, you want to do that? Okay, um, I'll get them to do a stat check. Usually it's like, okay. You know, unless it's something that's easy, that they'd be like really easily be able to do. It's like, okay, well, dexterity or strength or whatever. And then just, I'll often just roll a dice and kind of get an idea of how much damage that I want to let them do in that case. Obviously, it's going to be based on, you know, how many players, the difficulty of the monsters, and, you know, what an average strike is for them. Like, they ended up doing a hefty chunk of damage with those lifts. Uh, one missed their target because they didn't time it right, but the other one did. And it, you, you just kind of try and reward them. Like, do a little bit more than what their above average damage would be in a situation like that. Obviously grounded as much in reality as possible. And like, well, the one lift missed the basilisk, but the other basilisk like directly, it landed on its tail and pinned it for a couple rounds. So it couldn't move as much. It had less mobility. So I rewarded them with that in that way. So it doesn't always have to necessarily be direct damage, but even just causing effects to your monsters can help make things more interesting for them and reward them for that creativity. Yeah. Cause I think kind of what it comes down to is that when players think of something cool if a dm always says no then the player is just going to check out like they're not going to be as invested in the game because all the stuff that they keep thinking up is stuff that the dm just keeps shooting down but on the other side of things as a dm having a player that or players that continually throw you off balance with crazy things that they want to do or try out um it can just get a little exhausting because you know we're only human and having to, we've already (laughs) tried to plan out an encounter thinking of like, okay, there's a necromancer so they can do this. And there's, you know, maybe there's a barbarian. So I have to worry about them being able to tank a lot of damage and like all this kind of stuff. And then your players come in and do something just off the wall. And it's like, Oh, okay. I have to suddenly put a whole lot of thought into how this might work out. And if it's happening a lot, then it, I can see DMs, I can see myself just getting a little exhausted with having to 
being constantly put on the back foot with how things are turning out. Oh, totally. And like, you've got to make a judgment of scenario. Like they decide they want to do something insane. Like your cleric wants to run up a wall and wall jump and like swing off like five chandeliers or something like, okay, well fine. That's going to be a really hard dice check. And you know, and that's kind of how I tend to deal with the situation. Like, okay, fine. Roll for it. You can do it. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really difficult. And if they pull it off, then okay, fine. But it, you, yeah, you gotta gotta balance the situations out. And sometimes it's just it, the things they want to do is just way over the top. It's like no, it's not possible. But you could try and do this instead. But you're still gonna have to roll for it, and it's gonna be hard. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a decent trick. Is that if like depending on how outlandish it is, you just let the player know that yeah, you can you can try and. But not let them know that, like, yeah, the DC in this case is going to be, like, 20, 25. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be hard so that if you pull it off, it's... Because it is an incredible thing you're trying to pull off. But, yeah, it can... I think DC is one of those hidden tools of the DM where, depending on... Like, it's something that I do sometimes where if somebody says they like, oh, I'm just going to do this thing, then if they're trying to do something really crazy and they just like give me this short little like oh i'm just gonna do this and then this and then this i'll set the dc real high because like well you didn't really put a lot of thought into that you're just trying to get advantage in this situation but if they have been staring intently at the at the battle mat and then they look up at me and they're like they give me this you know really well thought out and descriptive explanation of what it is that they're just about to attempt i'll make it a little bit easier because they've put a lot of thought into this and they've they're helping to tell a story. They're not just trying to get advantage. Oh, totally. And that's one of those things as well. It's like, if someone's like, I want to do this crazy thing. It's like, okay, tell me how you're going to do that. One, that gives them time to like, actually narrate what they're thinking and like, think it out all the way. So you get an idea more of how they're doing and whether how plausible that's going to be. But it also gives you time to think about how you're going to handle that. So get them to get them to give that explanation. And that will help both of you a lot and helps determine that dice level check as well that you want to give them yeah and that has the bonus of also like adding texture and stuff to your combat so it's not just a series of rolling dice people are talking about what's going on it makes it more interesting than just sitting there and rolling the dice and getting damage right like it adds to the story mm-hmm. so we've talked a bit about how you kind of handle people doing something crazy or off the beaten path in combat how do you handle it when it kind of is in regards to a story moment or something like that. So in general, even with combat, my rule is if it's going to take me more than 10 seconds to figure out how to deal with it, just roll a dice. And like, they don't know. The thing is players usually have no idea what's going on in your mind or what it's like. They they think that you've got everything planned out. And if you just act cool and you roll a dice or something, they're never going to know that you're making this stuff up on the spot at all. So yeah, when scenario comes up, they're like, Oh, well, okay, well, this is big bad guy and there's all this stuff. But what if we go and like go behind or like, what if we just go find his mom instead or something? And it's like, okay. <laughs> and so it's a similar thing. It's just, again, rolling with it. If it's possible, can you fit this into the world that you've already got in your head? And like, I'm a bit of an, a compulsive world builder. So I kind of go above and beyond. Like when I plan things like, okay, they're going to be this town. I've planned like 10 shops and shopkeepers, each with their own stories. And they may never talk to any of those people. Or like in the one case of one of my system, one of my my games, there was a librarian that was going to give them a bit of a hint for the final boss. They went and talked to him and, and they ended up putting him 
in on their cell phone. They ended up getting the cell phone where they can call up to, they have can save five contacts and they ended up putting him in there. Now this character is involved in the story for the rest of the time. Cause they call him whenever they get stuck and you just, you just have to kind of roll with it. Try and remember what I try to like, think of one principle for every character. Like this is what their grounding principle is and guide every, all their reactions and RPs based on that. So if you have a good idea of the characters in the world, it's pretty easy to move with it. And again, the more that you work you put on them, that gives the f- more time you get to figure out the rest of those moving parts. It's like, okay, well, how would you approach that person? How would you talk to the mother? Where? How would you find the mother? And then let them work that out while you're figuring out what you're going to do. Makes sense. Okay. And so you mentioned earlier that you have, uh, what was it, 13 players <laughs> in your 13 age game? Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, um, it kind of started as a work thing and we wanted it to be super casual like hey we'll meet like once a month or so and whoever can come great if you can't come don't you know we just make sure the dms are always there and uh yeah like so some sessions there's five players but yeah the most we've had at one session i think is 12 and that's one thing as well it's tricky for the dms as well as we've always got to be in our feet like we may not know until the day or two beforehand ex- exactly how many players there and what the class combination is so we're always kind of ready and like i know for myself like i build up my combats kind of on kind of what the number we're expecting but i always keep extra trash mobs and stuff on the side that i can pluck in and throw in quickly and i have an idea of where i can modify health and attack and stuff to deal with that and you know sometimes it does mean editing on the fly like I often do my combat out of an Excel sheet on my laptop, so that way it's easier for me to keep track of everything. Um, and that way it's easy to add extra lines in or just remove stuff when, when there's less players. I like that. So you're you're kind of helping yourself deal with unexpected situations by, you know, planning a bit for them or having things off to the side that you can incorporate in. That's smart. That's great. Yeah, like the more stuff you can plan on the side, like you may not use it. Like I said, you may have like seven shopkeeps. They never go and see, but they're there. And it doesn't mean that you can't use them somewhere else. You're just making a set of resources that you can pull upon at any time for one. And one of these crazy scenarios happens suddenly where they're just like, we want to go someplace completely different. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to grab all these little scraps I've got sitting around and pile it together. Here you go. Here's a world. So with, with so many players, and I think you said there are four DMs. How do you all kind of keep track of everything? Because like with so many people, I can see how uh, things going even more off the beaten path is more likely to come up more often. How do you like? How do you deal with that as kind of a unit if there's you know four of you who are trying to juggle that? So um, the, for the four DMs, we have a rotation rotating schedule. So one DM will one run at a time, and we all know who the next DM is. So. When the one DM's running, like if there's anything that they need to lore check against everything else that we've do- doing, they'll we have a we have a group chat where we talk about things like this. Like, oh, I think I'm gonna do something with this. Does anyone have any plans with that? Like, nope, go for it. So we don't when we're playing as players, we don't know what that DM's got planned unless it like specifically interferes with the storyline of someone else. And we have um, uh, are you familiar with OneNote, Microsoft OneNote? Yep. I mean, I've heard of it. I've never used it because I'm. Most of, most of my computers are, are Linux, so I mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to actually use it yet. So I love Microsoft OneNote. Like I'm, per, I, I'm a writer and a storyteller in general. Aside from all this, so I always track my stuff in there. But um, with the once we started playing Thirteenth Age, like okay, we need to keep track of all this information. Like we had all our characters fill out surveys about like their past lives and what their greatest fears were, like who their best friends were, all that sort of stuff. And so we set up a OneNote and that's a virtual notebook. It's got all these tabs and all these Word documents and stuff. So we have like a whole section on all the characters. 
we have a section of just plot threads of all these things that have come up that we've not followed through. So if we're going to plan a session, we can look like, oh, we've got all the stuff we haven't done anything with. You can pull something from there if you need inspiration. We've got, you know, an NPC archive. So it's like every NPC they've encountered, everything that has happened has all been recorded there for the DMs to reference at any time. So that helps also with the, like, going on the fly. Like, all of us have laptops. So when we're DMing, we do have the laptop there. And then they're like, if they need to pull a resource or something, it's all there. And that helps making flying by the seat of your pants much easier. <laughs> so one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is if not so much with your giant group of 11 players, because I'm guessing that with a, with a large group of rotating people that you try to have sessions that wrap up by the end so that you don't have to worry about making sure that it's the same people at the next session. Like you don't want to leave them in the middle of a dungeon because you might not come back to that exact same group of people for months. Mm-hmm. But with a, like a smaller group, like most DMs who play with like three to five people, you know, once a month or every other weekend or whatever it is. Do you have any tips on what to do when a player like can't last minute can't make it or you know you know ahead of time that next weekend that they're not going to be able to make it but everybody else still really 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 wants to play because maybe they're about to do something interesting or it's just been a while since you've been able to play and everybody's just sick and tired of not being able to play which has happened to me um Mm -hmm. what do you do when there's a character who's not in the story and i guess it depends on you know how important they are to what's going on in the moment but how do you deal with that kind of thing totally um so even with the 13th age group um we try to end in decent places like we never end in the middle of combat or something but yes there are times there are definitely plenty of times when the neg- the players the party composition that was there before is not there after and we resolve that usually the next time that player comes back so it's like okay the last time we saw them we were on a boat and now we're way over here how did they get here and we've we narratively figure that out when we know the next time they're going to be back when it comes to a smaller group obviously something like that's going to be more noticeable so it depends yeah it definitely depends if the story is directly related to the character that is missing um if there's a legitimate way that you can then sub that character out or um you know send them on a side quest or something that's part of the mission or something that like something that's supplementary to what is the main story imagine most times in a small group like that the player doesn't really want to miss anything of really importance like this is like where you make the filler episode on a tv show is usually a good way of doing it or like if they really want to make progress in that main storyline is yeah give them a side quest that's not going to be super important to that main storyline but will also add to that storyline and they could then tell that other player about and maybe it's something to make maybe make that session about why that other player's missing and they've got to find them like do a hangover episode or something <laughs> i love that hangover episode is now like an actual trope term because like this is not <laughs> the first time i've heard it <laughs> i was just making that up but i'm glad that i'm not the only one who thought of that <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it's a, a useful term i think kind of giving a name to that type of session. Totally. So DM Test Kitchen, please. I think I was looking it up. You guys have played like three or four systems at this point? Yes. So our introductory system was End of the World by uh, Fantasy Flight Games, if it's a lie, um, which is a game where you play yourself in an apocalypse scenario. So that's how we set it off. So that way people could get to know who we are, which was a really interesting system. Which version did you play? Uh, we played... Um, the machines we're both the machines oh nice i've got all four books i've only had a chance to play the zombie one so far though yeah we did the one where um scenario we ran the machines uh machines we kind of became sentient and try to kill people and for those who are in vancouver familiar with vancouver 
we had to go to the peony <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, our first adventure <laughs> yeah yeah and then we've also did uh well we've, we're doing dnd 5e right now just kind of as our introductory to our main storyline but uh for halloween we did blades in the dark which was a lot of fun, which we'll probably be doing for our Christmas episode as well. I've heard a bunch about Blades in the Dark. I've heard a couple of their podcasts talk about it. Can you explain a little bit more about what Blades in the Dark is and how it works? So Blades in the Dark is uh, based in, it's kind of like um, a Victorian setting, but at this time, the sun blew up instead. So it's a world bathed in eternal darkness and there are small pockets of civilization that are left. They're all being protected by these big domes of electricity that protect them from the outside world, which has become pretty savage, which are powered by demon blood. So um, these human colonies have learned to survive by sacrificing demon and using their blood to power electronics. That just sounds incredibly amazing. Yes, the world is alone is awesome. And so like, it's so it's a semi realistic setting. It's grim and dark, like think, think England during the Black Plague, like things are brutal and tough and everyone's grimy and that's kind of where this comes is you play a crew of criminals essentially you pick you pick what kind of criminal organization that you are um either you're like a smuggler or you're a bunch of assassins or like like a hawker or underground network things like that there's a whole bunch of things you can be in this and there's also this world there's ghosts as well as other kind of paranormal things and they're not good and then when they show up things get really bad and the the game circles around your crew and you doing heists whatever it is related to your organization so when we did it we were doing we were smugglers and we were uh sent to pick up a package from the docks and bring it to an air er- another area and um the interesting thing about blades in the dark instead of necessarily leveling your characters you're leveling your crew which you have like a crew vehicle or you'll have a crew base. And as you level up and do heists and stuff, the crew levels up. And so often characters end up dying. Um, Or, you know, if you take too much stress, your character becomes pretty much shell-shocked and can't perform as a criminal anymore. So they must retire. So that is free. That's something that happens frequently when you're playing a long-term game. So if that ever happens, you just make a new character, but that character goes to the level of the crew that exists. So, and it's, it is a quite a grim game that way. And it, it is quite easy for bad things to happen. Almost everything in some way will cause a stress to you. And if you don't manage that, you will definitely have irreversible damage. <laughs> so the reason I ask about all the systems, uh, and they all sound amazing, honestly, I've been wanting to play those, um, uh, what were they, the fantasy flight games you were mentioning that Sean had. End of the world. Yeah, end of the world for a while, but we've never found a, a good time to really run any of them. Because there's one that's like a god apocalypse or something like that, isn't there? Yeah, there's yes. there's four there's four scenarios. I've got them sitting right in front of me. I've got all of my RPG books above my <laughs> desk, so it's always fun to look at them and go, oh, why can't I play that right now? But anyways, <laughs> the end of the world's got the four scenarios. Uh, they started with zombie apocalypse, and there's uh, alien invasion, revolt of the machines, and wrath of the gods. And the cool thing about the end of the world's system is that each book comes with four or five different scenarios. So like the zombie apocalypse one has just like hell is full, classic Romero zombies. It's got uh, rage zombies. It's got a parasite. It's got a, I think it's got a fungus based zombie. I can't remember, but like each book has a bunch of different scenarios and it gives you like uh, for each scenario, a timeline of like from when the, the, 
basically from moment zero of when the apocalypse started rolling, you know, like the first infected rose from the ground or the first machine became sentient or, you know, the aliens were first spotted in the sky or Cthulhu started walking in the ocean. It gives you a timeline of how, how everything progresses until society falls apart, basically until the apocalypse is over. And it gives you stat blocks for, NPCs and and uh, monsters like the bad guys, whether it's machines or the army or zombies or whatever it is, for before the apocalypse, and it also has a section for each scenario based on after the apocalypse. So what happens after the apocalypse is over and it's two, five, ten years later, and there's like huddled groups of people. Uh, like in one of the revolt of the machines, I think is a, it's basically the gray goo scenario, which is nano machines um, just start converting everything on earth into more nano machines. And the, after the end uh, bit talks about how there's scattered groups of people living in the North and South pole and on the tops of mountains, because the gray goo doesn't work at really low temperatures or it works very slowly so that you can at least get away from it. And it gives you stat blocks for like, yeah, here's a thing that you might encounter, you know, 10 years after the apocalypse has happened. And so it gives you a lot to work with and uh, you're meant to play it initially, like your first time as yourself. Like the players are meant to create a character that is them. And your first session is, okay, the GM died and now the apocalypse is happening. Like you just thrust them into the middle of it. But what I like is that they also have rules on how to create characters. So you can be like, no, I want to play a scenario after the end. And we're a group of people uh, like Walking Dead style. We've got our little commune and we've been, everything's been going okay, but then something happened. Yeah, I would really love to actually play a long-term run of this game. Just because, like, yeah, we only, we did, obviously, right when the apocalypse was happening, but there's so much information in there for, yeah, how, like, how do you survive long-term? Do you farm? Where's your, where's your base? Like, what is your human relations like? Because social is a stat in that game, and you can die from losing social points. You just turn catatonic and hate humanity, kind of thing. So it's got a lot of really interesting mechanics. It would be fun to play long-term, but it's also really rules-light, and based so much more on just being able to just roll play a scenario like it's something you could play a weekend camping kind of thing yeah you wouldn't have to do have a lot of preparation the thing that uh i, I played the zombie scenario i can't remember which one with uh, some people from work once um when we were taking a break in between uh D and campaign and switching to another system played it as just like a introduction to more role play heavy systems but the thing that got me about playing a a game of end of the world where the character where the players are basically playing as themselves in an apocalypse is that you kind of like I found that at least for myself playing at our office in downtown Vancouver I had to have my laptop like this is not a game that I could play without a computer nearby because mm-hmm. the players might decide like oh let's you know head to the sky train and walk along the tracks or we're going to steal a car and try to make our way out to Maple Ridge or like having Google Maps meant that I could just like whatever the players decided to do, I could kind of look up which way they were going and throw appropriate obstacles in their way. And I think that's why I think in the future, I'd prefer to play with characters where the players make up characters and it's either an after the end or in a small town or a made up town or a town that we're not in so that I can prepare 
like I usually do instead of having to be <laughs> so on the fly and rolling with it and kind of low level panicked the entire session that they're going to do something that I have no idea how to handle. <laughs> that 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 is really true. Like we ended up definitely using Google Maps a lot. We were playing, um, we were playing at my brother's house, which was where this, so obviously our setting was, and he's um, like a 15, 20 minute walk to the peony. So we had to figure out how to walk to the peony from his house. And like, there's definitely a ton of Google Maps referencing. So yeah, if your location's in a city, then you, you might need the internet to be able to make that work. <laughs> Since you guys switch so often between systems, how do you find that kind of um, transference, I guess, between like going from one to the other? How do you all deal with that, especially if you're trying to, you know, keep up a, a schedule for a show, right? You're not, mm-hmm. you can't be like, okay, well, we'll take a month and read the rules and then make our characters and do it. You have to be a bit quicker if you want to kind of upkeep that. So how do you handle that? Um, that's kind of something I end up doing a lot is um, because I'm obsessed about being prepared. So I go through, I read the rules and then I end up making quick sheets for our crew. Like here are the basic rules. Like I made a one page for another world. And like, this is exactly all you need to know. Here's the bullet points. Like this is how you do combat. This is how this happens, this is how you die. And just one page is as much as possible for everything. Obviously with D&D, we're already familiar with it. Um, Blades in the Dark, the rules are relatively simple. So our DM just kind of, the DM that we had at the time just gave, gave us a quick rundown. But again, I'd gone through ahead of time and kind of got a brief idea. So when we're playing, like I tend to, I tend to be the one who kind of keeps the rule upkeep a lot of the time, just because I'm so familiar. Like, okay, yeah, no, this is what's actually, this is the rule here in this case. And that, um, so just preparation. If you have somebody who's willing to do it, then that's great. And the ideal, you know, it's probably going to be the gem that should be leading that stuff. It's easier to lead the, the party that way. But yeah, I just try and like condense that information, learn it myself and then spit it out as simple as possible. (laughs) So what you're saying is you're one of the ideal people to have at any gaming group. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The neurotic crazy person that does way too much work. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and if I mentioned, we did play star Wars as well, which was our test session before we actually recorded. So which, which edition of it? Oh, I think it was edge of the empire. It was one of the starter kits. We did. Oh, it was, so one of the new fantasy flight ones. Yeah. Yeah. What did, what did you think of it? Cause I've, I played edge of the empire and I really enjoyed it. I'm always curious to hear what other people thought. Um, for me personally, I thought it was interesting. Uh, the, the took a bit to understand the, the way that the dice work. That was a little bit different for me. So it, it only really played roll 20 games before, uh, or sorry, 20, 20 system games before. And so that was, that was uh, quite unusual for me to be a bit to wrap my head around it. I like, I think there was a lot going on. So I found it interesting and I definitely like to try and play it again now that I have a better grasp of the rules. Cause yeah, I, I, I feel like I barely just touched scratch the surface with that one. Yeah. I think edge of the empire and eclipse phase are, I think so far two of my favorite games that I've ever played. I talk about them almost every chance I get on this podcast, apparently. And uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that I like the most about both of those systems is that the dice invite role-playing. Like, they have, it's a built-in mechanic that, hey, yeah, you succeeded, but something still went wrong, so why are you taking this stress? And, you know, the players can try and figure out, like, oh, yeah, like, I, uh, you know, slid along the ground to do this thing, but, you know, and I got my shot off and I killed the stormtrooper, but I banged my head when I hit the ground or whatever. There's, yeah, there's stuff like that. So that compared with D&D where it's, well, you roll a D20 and, well, you missed. 
okay, on to the next person. Yeah, and like I think that works for you, especially if you have really creative people in the party. Like that, those are going to be signs where times where they're really going to have a chance to, to shine. But when you have people who are more rules focused, they have a harder time with that kind of thing. Um, one of the things we do when we review systems for DMTK is we have kind of um, an alignment chart. Basically, on whether it's more story heavy or more rules heavy, uh, it's like like a lawful. Trying to remember what it is like. Lawful neutral means like high rules, medium story kind of thing, or like lawful epic is high rules, high story, or chaotic. Chaotic uh, epic is like rules are kind of in the middle or all over the place and are like really loose with high story. So just because there's people who are drawn to different things, and like most of our crew are all very into the role play side of it more. My brother's kind of more of a rules nerd. He's kind of the outlier in the group in that way. But um, yeah, I, I do think I do like the way that Star Wars does try to encourage role playing that way. I agree with uh, what you said earlier about the system too, because Sean ran the box for, for me and my wife and a friend of ours. Um, and it was fun, but I, it took me so long to get used to it that by the time I kind of was, the session was done. <laughs> yeah, by that point, you're like, okay, I think I get it now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so it's also well, like a game that I would like to try try out again because I spent a like like I said I spent a lot of the first what, how long did we play for Sean like four to six hours Yeah, it was yeah like four and a half five hours Yeah, like so much of that for me was just like getting used to the dice and the different things I could do and then like getting my head into the space where I could think about like how to describe this. Uh, side thing that happens and stuff like that so i'd really yeah. like to give it another shot but you know time yeah. time is an issue yeah i think <laughs> one of the reasons that i also like it so much is that i i was a huge star wars nerd when i was younger so it's one of those it's a system that i can jump in and improvise the hell out of because i've just got an encyclopedia sitting in the back of my brain somewhere that's just marked star wars <laughs> So I, I was the same growing up, like Star Wars was my freaking jam. But then there kind of came a point in my life where I was kind of like, okay, there's no more Star Wars anymore. And now it's like, it's hard for me to get back into it because it's like, I don't know if I could be hurt again. <laughs> I don't know if I could commit back to the way I once was. Yeah, the knowledge I, is still there. <laughs> yeah, I I was huge into the books and I stopped reading because there was this like big, huge storyline. And in the like second or third book, and it was set like, 30 years, 40 years after um, Return of the Jedi and, you know, Han and Leia have had a couple of kids. And this mm. stuff has all been, it, it's no longer canon anymore. Yeah, it's all anymore. been retconned, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Star Wars Legends now. But, like, the, so this is not, it's kind of a spoiler if you haven't read the books, but it doesn't matter because it's not canon. But basically, in the, like, second or third book, Chewbacca dies. I remember that one. Oh, my God. I re- I read that book and then I stopped reading Star Wars books. That was probably around the same time that I stopped. <laughs> yeah, I, I went back eventually, uh, like I think two years ago, and I read through that entire series. And reading through all of those books that are definitely aimed at a teenage high school audience, it's like, wow, some of these books are not great. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so do you have any other tips or hints on... Uh, Kind of, we've covered a, a mishmash of things from, uh, you know, characters dealing with characters doing crazy things in the middle of combat or unexpected situations outside of combat or new systems, uh, jumping into new systems to, to try them out and get players acclimated to them. Any other tips, hints, stuff that you'd like to let people know about any of this stuff? 
ultimately it comes down to whatever's fun for you and your party. So as long as everyone has fun, it really doesn't matter. There is this um, Gary Gygax quote, which is my favorite quote, which describes exactly my approach to all this. And it is the secret that we should never let game masters know is that they don't need any rules. And that's what it comes down to. Cause really we can talk our way out of anything. And all we're doing is narrating a, a story to people and you know, most of our players often don't know the rules and set around, or if they are rule stickers, then they probably shouldn't be playing with us. <laughs> we tend to want to lean towards those scenarios where we're going to follow this crazy fun story thread. And as long as you are leading them and everyone's enjoying themselves and everyone's invested, then it really doesn't matter what happens. And yeah, it's a journey that we're all taking together. Yeah, I think that's something that I've slowly picked up over the last however long it is that I've been DMing is that it kind of doesn't matter what the rules are and what the book says or anything like that. Like you could play a game, you could make something up on the spot with like, okay, I'm going to use a D20 and a D8 and that's going to be, you know, roll to hit and how much damage and everything has X HP. And as long as you're able to tell an engaging story and your players are having fun, you could do it with just two dice or a coin flip. Like it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, and I think this is something that we've tried to, I don't know what the right word is, espouse here on the show <laughs> is that it, like at the end of the day, it's really about are you and your players having fun? And if you are cool, use whatever rules in whatever way you like. If you're not having fun, change it figure something else out. Like if you're not having fun with, uh, you know, if, if your players aren't having fun because you keep telling them, no, they can't do that cool thing, then maybe rethink that. Or, uh, you know, if you're not having fun for whatever reason, like examine it, figure it out and start having fun again, because this game, all of these games are about having fun and telling cool stories, crazy yeah, stories. Totally. And we're doing this together. Like this is, you know, this is all world building together. Like, yeah, so much of the mantle goes on the GM because they've got to plan the session. They've got to go ahead and build all those stories and those narratives and those encounters and stuff. But it is a collaborative effort. And, you know, as long as you know what drives each one of your players and what drives you and you're working towards that goal together, everyone's going to have a great time. You know, and we've all got the same goal. We all want the same thing. Let's just get together, have fun fight some monsters, like get some loot. It's really what it all comes down to at the end of the day. Yep. All right. So um, Kayla, if you could um, go back in time to when you first started running games and uh, give yourself one piece of advice on, you know, just kind of how to roll with it. Uh, what what would you say to yourself? Don't worry about the rules. I, I already was preparing my first session for the 13th age group. And like, I spent weeks like reading over every passage of the book again and again, like, oh God, well, what, what, what happens if they get at this condition? How do I deal with this condition? Like trying to remember this all and like cram all this information in my brain. And the second I started playing, like I had this introductory um, speech uh, for the quest that they were going on. They received a dream essentially from a God. And as soon as that started, like I just completely calmed down. Like it doesn't matter. We're going on this adventure. This is the story just don't the world rules don't matter you'll deal with it they'll come with it if you don't know what the rule is that time just flip a dice like roll a dice roll with it it'll be fine and yeah that 100 just don't worry about the rules so much worry about the moment and that story yeah i've been i've been getting back into watching uh matt colville's videos recently and he had a video i don't know how recent it is but it was one talking about how to be a good player and one of the things that he mentions is that like there's this kind of weird expectation, I think, 
DMs put it on themselves, but also other people kind of put it on their DMs. Like they expect their DM to be this rule repository to have memorized every word in the book so that when a situation comes up, the DM is like, aha, yes, the rule on page, whatever, but we're only human. And part of the job of like a good player is to know how their stuff works. Like a barbarian knows how rages work. And as a DM, I have too much other stuff to worry about. And knowing all the rules doesn't make the game more fun. Yeah, definitely. And like, yeah, so the, there are, there's ownership on the players as well. You should know how your characters work. And if you don't, talk to the GM, work together, figure that out ahead of time. Try not to bring it up at the session itself, unless you're doing like a session zero or something like that. Because we want to go into these things prepared so we all can just go with the story as much as possible. Like, I don't believe in rule checking in the middle of playing unless like it's something really important and it's not going to take more than a minute. Like, keep those books off the table unless, you know, you're referencing something for what's happening at the moment. But... Yeah, just go with it and just be in the moment and enjoy it. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. This was super fun. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I was super surprised that that you guys reached out, but I'm so happy that you guys did. (laughs) Uh, Is there anywhere people can find you online? Anything you want to plug? Where can't they find me? Um, so yeah, DMs Test Kitchen. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and our podcast is on Podbean, which you can also get it on Google Play and Spotify and iTunes. Uh, I am also an artist, so you can find me personally on Twitter with Veranox, V-E-R-A-N-O-X, and across a billion other platforms of a, with similar handles. So start there if you need to find, if you're interested in following me throughout the rest of the universe. Cool. And you, you have a webcomic too, don't you? I also have a webcomic, yes. Uh, blackburncomic.com. Um, it's a, a story about four girls in high school in a fantasy modern world where humans and fantasy creatures have learned to live together. Sounds like nice. Breakfast Cult. Yeah, almost. <laughs> With some, you know, old gods and domestic basilisks. Cool. Thanks again, Kayla. Um, have a great day. Let us know if you want to come on the show again. I'd love it anytime. All right. Thank you guys so much. Our art is done by Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and Google Play and um, also on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook. And we have got a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash DMs of Vancouver for just a dollar a month. You get access to episodes a week early. Yeah, big thanks to Craig Chapman and Haley Boros for being patrons. And we've got sponsors. Big thanks to Dice Bard and Libris Arcana. And the Cave Goblin Network. I think that's the end now. We've th- These things keep changing, but I think we've covered everything. <laughs> Hooray! Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, bye. bye. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.